everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. The Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today we are talking with Sarah Bragg. And Sarah is the host of the Surviving Sarah Podcast, which is phenomenal. She's she also to it. an author. She has over 10 years of ministry experience, and we are super excited to talk with her today. And we, we're talking with her about a yeah, we. Things. I don't even Leadership, know. Leadership. Yeah. Challenges of being a woman leader. Uh, yeah. Lots it's, of different things. Just a she explains her, her. She explains to us, you know, her her reasoning for calling her podcast "Surviving Sarah." I mean, uh, her. Yeah, like Caleb said, her time in ministry and just yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's very yeah, but it's phenomenal because she's so engaging. Oh yeah. However, before we get to Uh-oh. that. Uh oh. We have our Learner's Corner recommended resource Uh-oh. of the week. What is it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I just asked that. What is it, Caleb? Oh, my goodness. He never, whenever he has one to share, he never tells me. He never lets me know ahead of time. He always wants to surprise me. He irritates me. It is a book which has not come out yet, but will come out in a couple of weeks called Learning to Speak God from Scratch. Uh-oh. How did you read this if it hasn't come out yet, Caleb? Well, sometimes we get advanced uh-huh. copies of uh-huh. books. Uh-huh. So all I'm saying <laughs> is it's by Jonathan Merritt, Uh-oh. and I think we'll be having a conversation with him in just a couple of weeks about this book. But I'm going to give you a sneak peek. It is, it is one of um, is it's it, one of the best books is that it I've read. your top 20? Does it make the top 20 yet? Um, it's probably the best like faith book that I've read this year. Ooh, top yep. 10? Ooh. We'll see what happens. We're going to see what happens. Okay. But it's one of the best books that I've read um, this year, and it really talks about how sacred words are vanishing from our culture mm. and how their definitions are changing. And the book is basically just a response to, okay, so what What do we do? What and do, we do? so I highly, 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 highly recommend this book. So that is our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Boom. Now, as we mentioned, we have a great episode with Sarah Bragg today, and let us know what you're learning about. Leave us a rating, write a review of the podcast. Let us know some of the things that you're learning from Sarah, from this episode, from previous episodes, or some of the things that you would like us to talk about or that as well. And we would love to hear your feedback on that, either on Hit us the up on the Twitter, or on Twitter, or on Instagram, the Twitter, and let us know. Now, without further ado, here is our conversation with Sarah brag well sarah we're so excited to have you on the learner's corner podcast today i am excited to be here you know just as we kind of get started you know can you tell us a little bit about how your podcast got started the surviving sarah podcast yeah um i you know i used to be in full-time ministry and part of my ministry was traveling and speaking and um, and I just loved that. Like I, I could stand on stage all day and just like talk. And so um, I, I just genuinely loved using my voice to to encourage and to inspire and to teach and all that kind of stuff. And so I had been doing that, but then I started having kids and it was like, you know, my world came like to a screeching halt and, and all the things that I was doing just stopped. And so, and I, and I do think, you know, hindsight, I can look back and I know God was like protecting. Cause I would say yes to everything. I'm like, yes, this, that sounds fun. Let's do that. Um, and so, so anyway, so, so 
preseason, you know, when my kids were little, I just kept thinking like, did I peak at 30? Like what, like I did all these great things and then it was over. And, and so, but I kept thinking, okay, God, like there is going to come a day when my kids will all be in school and I don't think you're done with me, but I want to use my voice. Like I miss talking the thought of, you know, blogging. I just could never get into blogging. I, 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 I think maybe I'm one of those people who, even though I'm like a published author, I think I'm more of a like talker than a writer. I, I think there's a difference. There's people who write, who <laughs> speak, but I think there's speakers who write. And I think I'm a speaker who writes, uh, which is why editors are great to have because I usually write the way I speak. Uh, so, so anyways, I just kind of had this, this, I just missed using my voice. I missed that talking to people and communicating and all of that. And so for years though, as I was praying about what's next, um, I just felt like for two years, God just kept saying, I want you to push others forward. And of course I'm sitting there going, that sounds real nice, God. I don't even know what that means. Like push someone forward in the grocery store. Like I'm not doing anything, you know? And so I would, but he just kind of kept repeatedly. It was always that, that, you know, like I'm just one of those people who I love January. And so I get really excited about what, like what could happen. It's the one time where the unknown is exciting. I'm like, what could this year like, you know, have in store for us? And so for every year, every January, that's just kind of what he kept saying was push others forward. And so, um, so it got to be 2016. And again, that was still kind of the drum that he was beating on me. And it was the year that my daughter, my youngest went to kindergarten. And so that's when I really was like, okay, like this is it. Now's the time. And this is the moment I've been waiting for. So God, what is it you want me to do? What, what do you, you know, I want to use my voice. I, I miss having influence of some sort. Like I, I miss that. And, and not in like an arrogant, like I want to be famous kind of way, but just knowing how you're designed and how you're wired. And, and so anyway, so I went to a writer's conference. I, I, I didn't mean to go. A friend of mine was like, I can't go. Do you want my ticket? And I was like, ah, sure. That sounds great. Like I'll go be a nice weekend away from like my kids. And, and so I went to this writer's conference, you know, the whole time just really seeking what was next. And ironically, I went to a breakout about podcasting. And I only went because there was no other breakout I wanted to go to. And I was like, well, I like podcasts. Like, yeah, I enjoy listening to them. So I'll just go hear what this person has to say. And it was like, as I was sitting there, I just felt like everything came together in that moment. And, you know, I, I just really felt like God was speaking to my heart and just kind of saying, this is what I want for you. I want you to use your voice to push others forward. That's how you're going to do it. It just all made sense. Like it all made sense that I get to talk and I get to be a part, but I get to like bring people on my show and I, I get to be just like a cheerleader for them. I get to cheer for how they're contributing to the world and be a megaphone for their story. And, and all the while I get to participate and I get to have some influence and I get to, to use my words to encourage and inspire others. And so that's really kind of how it all came about. Sarah, I just am curious, um, during that time while you were kind of doing that, did you experience like bitterness, like of a part of your story ending and then this new one beginning, but you were kind of like, I don't get it. Did you experience like, like bitterness during that time? It was, it was, it was hard. It, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of resentment. There were certainly moments of jealousy. Um, there was, you know, times where you're, I'm looking around and I'm seeing, well, well, how come this person seems to be able to do it all? They seem to be able to still like 
write and be published and speak. And like my, and my publisher was coming to me during those years saying like, Hey, we'd like for you to write another book. And I was like, I just can't, like, I don't know how to put words together to form sentences anymore. Like my brain is just not working. And, and so it was hard. It was because you look around and you think, why can't, like, what's wrong with me that I can't do this? Like, why can't I also participate in this? Or why is God not allowing me to do this thing where I can do that? Like, I can do that well, and and this person's getting to do that. And so there was a season of just hard. And even him saying, I want you to push others forward. If I'm being real honest, I was like, well, who's going to push me forward, God? Like, that's real nice. And I'll do that. But who's going to push me forward? And it was that real kind of tension and that struggle of, you know, wanting to be somewhere and not. And, and it made motherhood difficult too, just of, you know, feeling like I'm wired to do these things and, and motherhood is so not that. And I always laugh and I say, you know, the strength finders test that everybody takes, like, I'm like, all the things that would require being a good mother are not on my strength finders result. Like (laughs) none of them. Like I would have quit this job a long time ago. Like I'm like, oh, this is just not my strength. I'm going to go find something else. Um, and so, yeah, so it definitely was a season of, um, just kind of disappointment and kind of that dealing with the loss, all the, all the emotions you feel when you lose something, like when you um, lose a dream, really. Sarah, was there anything that you did during that time that, that helped you? Um, so kind of, as you kind of navigated your way through that, I, besides, I mean, you talked about praying and things like that, but was there anything else that you, that you were able to do during that time? Or even that someone else did or someone that helped you through that season? You know, I, I feel like there were come moments where um, I would get an opportunity to do something. Like I would speak here and there, like maybe once or twice a year, I would get to go do something like that, or I would do kind of a a, a contractual writing kind of thing here. And it was so like here or there. There was nothing consistent, but it was enough of like just breadcrumbs, maybe. But, but I feel like for me personally during that time, it was such an integral time for me because during that season, I had left one thing and I had been at a place where I felt like my voice was no longer heard and my voice, my personal voice was not good enough or accepted or, well, I mean, that's fine that you, but, but we want to do this. And so it really it was kind of a pivotal age for me. I feel like it's like that quarter life crisis really. And, you know, I was 30, um, 31 and, and, and starting to walk through that and having to face that really kind of that sense of rejection. And it took me those years, those years of having those little kids and those years of stepping away from all that I once found value in, um, to really learn where to find my value again. So that, when God did give me the like green light of like, Hey, you're going to launch this podcast. I was in a much different place than I would have been all those years before. If I had stepped into something like that. Do you have any advice for anyone who is, you know, maybe in like a similar situation, you know, they're trying to find their voice. Would there be anything that you would recommend for them? You know, I think it's like that constant seeking, like, and and I think that it's interesting, you know, I, I feel like it took, years of me seeking. And so, and I like quick answers. I'm a, I'm a fast mover and I'm a very discontent person. I'm like, Oh, I feel discontent. Let's change. Let's do this other thing. Like I'm very, um, which is great sometimes and not great other times, but I feel like the patience of 
just waiting and, but seeking and waiting, constantly putting it in front of, in front of God. And, and I think too, it's just, well, spend this time, you know, what is it that he's wanting to do in you in the season? Because I think there's things that I always say now, I couldn't have written another book at that point. Like I had no other words to say. I needed to live more life. And so I think even recognizing that the season that you're in where you feel like maybe you've lost this one thing and you're grieving the loss of something, there there is going to be another. There is going to be new growth. There is going to be new opportunities. And so what is God trying to do in you in the meantime? And and allowing those kind of things, because those, those things have prepared me for what I'm doing now. Like even the messages, I mean, just the fact that we're talking about losing your voice um, is something that he has prepared. So I think just seeking and then being open to what he's doing in that. And I think just being honest, like having, you know, someone to be honest to you that's safe and, you know, that you can truly vent to, but it's, it's that process of being vulnerable enough to open up and say, I was hurt this was real rejection or this is real. Like I've, I don't know what to say anymore, but I don't know where to go. And allowing someone to walk in that with you, I think is a, a really helpful thing. I think there's a lot to be said for that um, piece that you, you mentioned of, you know, I just need to live more life. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot to be said for that. Yeah. You know, Sarah, as you, as you had mentioned earlier, you know, that you, you've had a lot of experience whenever it comes to ministry and, you know, Todd and I both being in ministry, we know that sometimes that could be challenging at times. And <laughs> really? So, yeah, I, didn't, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't get that. <laughs> only, only from time to time. It rarely ever happens. Right, um, right. <laughs> but what were some of the lessons that you learned during that time in ministry that have continued to shape you today and have continued to help you? Man, it, that's a great question. There's so many things I feel like that when I stop and think about lessons that I've learned, I, I think I was very fortunate and I have a strange, I feel like a not normal beginning ministry experience and that my very first church job was at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. And and so I, I was like, oh, this is working for a church. This is great. Like you've got this budget, you can do whatever you want. Like I just didn't know any difference of what working for a church was like. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I, I loved and that, that he's, I remember Rick Warren saying once he said, leaders are learners. And, and I've always taken that because I think it's really easy in life to get to different seasons where you think you know everything. And I know for certain for me, I, I always say, I, I feel like I need to send like apology letters to anyone that had to lead me when I was in my 20s, um, because I genuinely <laughs> thought that I knew everything. And, and so it, and it took, you know, now I'm, I'm turning 40 this year and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know everything. And, and but I'll still find myself that where, oh, yeah, I totally know everything. And then like, oh, no, I don't. And so I think going back to that statement of leaders or learners, like constantly realizing that you you don't know everything. What else can you learn? Leaders are are fluid and they're constantly moving and constantly growing. So what can you always be on the lookout for rather than walking into life or church or ministry or work or anything that going, yeah, I know, I know that I know all of this. I know that all there's to have. So I feel like that was a really big lesson of just, because if anybody, especially at that time, that was early 2000s that I was there. That was, I mean, I showed up and he had just completed or he was, he was on sabbatical writing the purpose driven life. So if anybody was at like this pinnacle point of their ministry, it was him in that church. And 
And then to have say, you know, you got to always be learning. Like you don't know it all. You're constantly learning that. That was a life lesson that I feel like I continue to try to lean into in all that I'm doing right, right now. So I guess one of the things that I think of when, when you said that to me just now is how, how do we, how do you, so we go through seasons. How do you go and, and, and continue to remain that way? Because I think that for you with all the stuff that you're doing, you kind of have built a podcast around learning. Um, right. How do you, how do you maintain that, that posture? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think that is definitely, maybe there's some empathy involved that you can put yourself in other people's shoes um, that you can see, maybe there's perspective, like you can see from other people's perspective. I think that's, I, I have learned, I'm not, I, we, I, we went on a date last night with uh, some friends of ours and we kind of had this conversation. I don't think I grew up being a, a question asking person. Um, and so, but I think I've become that. And so, and I think that le- lends into learning. Like if you can be someone who like, I'm going to always ask questions. So whether you're in a conversation with someone, be the person who's asking the questions, or if you're, you know, reading something or experiencing something, be a question asker. What does this really mean to me? What is this? How does this line up? Like in, in real, cause I think I grew up in, in, and it was not okay to question things really, you know, in church, especially you don't, you don't question, like you just believe. And, and so we've, kind of a stigma for, for my generation was you don't ask questions. Right. I know. Maybe it's not for, for your generation. (laughs) Um, and so I think leaning into becoming a question asker, um, you know, I once had a pastor ask me, you know, he's like, what is it like? How do you make you feel that you're raising your kids to be skeptics? And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never been called a skeptic in my life. I'm like, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Like, this is wild. But I think because he said, because you question everything. And I was like, but that's good. Like we should, because when we question things, it helps us to own it. And I think that that helps us to continue to learn and grow if we allow this sense of curiosity to to push us. So I kind of feel like and maybe, you know, it works out well since I'm a podcast host and I'm constantly asking people <laughs> questions, but, but it is, I learned, those are the things I, I always joke with people. And I say, I love my podcast because it's three, it's free therapy for me. I think, what do I need to work on? Who can I have on the show? That's going to help me with my own issues. Yep. And then I just get to ask them questions and I get to learn from who they are. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, was there anything that you did to kind of feed that sense of curiosity in you and to become a better question asker? Or was it just kind of natural? I know that's what I always laugh. My mom one time, she's like, I wish you had not gone to seminary. And I was like, no, I don't think it was seminary. That Because seminary is like, I went to a conservative seminary. It wasn't like a place where I learned to ask questions. I think it was surrounding myself though, with people who are that way. Um, you know, I've been working for Orange for, oh gosh, 11, 12 years. Um, and so, you know, Reggie Joyner is, he's a great question. He's great at questions and seeking curiosity. And I think the years that I've been around him and the years that I've been a part of, you know, um, one of Andy Stanley's campuses and things like that, like I've surrounded myself with enough enough people who are also question askers and who are curious and who I can look at the end of the day and go, well, they have a solid faith. Like they, yeah. it hasn't rocked their world and they, you know, are 
great cheerleaders for other and others and care for others. And a lot of it comes from that having a sense of curiosity. And so I think it, for me, it's really just been surrounding myself with people who are like that, that I would like to emulate. You mentioned just a couple people there, Reggie Joyner and Andy Stanley, who are some other people who have really had a significant impact on you professionally? Yeah, I think Doug Fields for sure. Um, he was, he was the one that hired me to come to Saddleback. And I think that that was, you know, definitely a pivotal moment for me. And it was, for me, I had never seen ministry done that way. I grew up in a traditional Baptist church and Saddleback was very different from what I had experienced. It was the first time I saw women in leadership. It was um, the first time I saw just a different philosophy of ministry of how you do student ministry and um, small groups were elevated and all these things. And so I feel like um, Doug giving me that opportunity um, was very pivotal for me in my professional career. Um, and then of course, you know, Reggie and, uh, him taking a chance on inviting me into, to orange and to help launch. I think I've launched like four curriculums for them. I have learned, I think I'm a launcher. I think deal. I'm an idea, I mean, whatever. <laughs> idea person. You, who you just know, like, have you been on, have you been on uh launch university? No, you should, you should. You should. Is that, Kev- is that Kevin's? That's Kevin, Kevin Jennings. Jennings yeah. Uh, Jeff Henderson. Yes. Those, those yes. guys. You are a launcher. I know. Ma'am. You are a I launcher. To, I used to try to not think that. I was like, oh, I'm not. Like, I'm like, you know, but I, I keep finding myself in these positions. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is actually who I am. Like, it makes sense. Like, the podcast, I, you know, I, all, all these things. I'm always. Shout out, to, shout out to Kevin Jennings. <laughs> yes, Kevin Jennings. Talk about cheerleaders. What He's the best. Guy. Oh yeah. He is what? the best cheerleader of others. That's for what sure. A guy. Um so you just gave us like the perfect lead in. Um because you were talking about your your career at Saddleback and, and working with Doug Fields and doing student ministry and one of the the things that I find really interesting about your story in particular is that you've really kind of gone against the grain of what kind of conventional ministry looks like for women. Mm-hmm. Um typically women in ministry are one of two things. They're either a worship person or they're in kids ministry, but you kind of was like bump that fam. We're going to go into (laughs) student ministry. Um, And then the other thing that you did is you, you mentioned this too. You, you went to Dallas theological seminary and you didn't get an educational ministries degree. You got a biblical studies degree, which is not that, which is also incredibly, incredibly rare for, for women. So talk to me about that. I just find it fascinating. I, I'm yeah. curious as as to to how how you overcame some of the challenges because those are male dominated fields typically. Yeah. Not that they should be; they just typically right. are. Can you talk no. to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. And the funny thing is, I had and I still have such a heart for women. Like in those days where I was at Saddleback, I had such a heart for young women, for these you know teenage girls. And, and I, and I have such a heart for women. Like what I'm doing is still like, like speaking into women yet. I had zero desire to pin myself into what would typically be seen as something a woman is supposed to do. And, and so I did, that's why I chose Dallas Theological Seminary. I, I, I was like, I don't want a Christian education degree. I just don't want it. Like I have I, I truly think there's benefits for going to seminary, but I think for ministry, the biggest thing is experience. And and at that point, I was having the experience. Like, I, I couldn't have asked for a better place to learn how to do ministry from at that time. And so it just seemed like a complete waste to go to seminary and 
learn, you know, how to do ministry when I'm learning it. Like I have like, no, I think I need to like study, like study the Bible. Like I'm going to teach this and how do I teach this in this in different ways? And what are different viewpoints on all this theology? And, and so, um, it it is funny, like I was not a rebellious child. I was not a strong willed child, but somehow along the way I've turned into that as an adult, a very strong willed and, (laughs) and rebellious kind of person. Um, but it was, you know, I, I just, I, I think I just never doubted that I couldn't do this. And I don't know if that's just my personality. I, it, I say that, but I also had a great deal of fear of failure. So I'm not so confident that I didn't think I wouldn't fail. But I, I just kind of had this confidence. And, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I'm interested in. I'm not going to listen to what someone else tells me I need to be interested in. No, this is what I'm interested in. And, and I just kind of combined that with just the opportunities that God kind of kept presenting in front of me. I just kept walking forward. Um, but I do remember, you know, the reason I, I had zero desire to go to, to seminary, like ministry was never on my radar, by the way. Like I, I grew up, I never thought women could do ministry beyond what you just described. I was like, well, I don't want to do kids ministry, so I'm not going to do ministry. Even in my home church, I wasn't allowed to lead a small group until I had graduated high school. And, and so it's things like that. I just never knew that you could do ministry as a job, as a woman. I just didn't know that that existed. And so in that wild and, and so, so going to Saddleback, it was just, it blew my mind because there was all these women on staff. There were all these women doing these things. And, um, and I, and, and so I had no desire to go to seminary and, but I knew at the same time that if I want to be a, a voice of influence, seminary give me credibility. And sure. because of the male-dominated world, I had to look like I knew. Like most men didn't have to have that behind their name so that they would have cre- be credible or seen right. as credible. But I knew that for me, I was young and I was a woman, and I was like, I'm going to need seminary so that I can say, oh well, I've because it, it essentially like I can remember you know, even launching the very first curriculum for Orange. And they were like, well, who, who are you, who are you, you know? And, and the moment you say, well, I'm, you know, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Like, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, you, you, you've been formally trained, you know? And so it, it, there's a, it immediately would disarm people knowing that. And I think it's interesting too. I remember talking to the pastor of the church that I grew up in when it was time for me to leave Saddleback and, and looking at what was next and, and I was like, I don't, you know, there's a Methodist church that wants to hire me. And I don't know. I mean, like I grew up Baptist, like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know, all those right. questions. And, and he said, you know, he's like, sadly, he's like, you're going to have to step outside of what you grew up in because at this point in this juncture, they're not going to hire a woman to do what you're wanting to do. And you have to be open to stepping outside and playing in other, other denominations and other churches because they will, they will allow you that space. Um, and so even that, like, that was a big, you know, shift for me to, to, and I know it sounds kind of silly looking back. Cause I think we've even, our yeah. culture has grown so far, like to look at denominations and be like, Oh, what? No big deal. Why was that a big deal? But you know, 15 years plus ago, that was a big deal. And so going, choosing to go to a Methodist church was like this unheard of thing for me. I was like, wow, yeah. but it was great. They gave me just free reign of opportunity to lead and to speak and to influence. And, and that was great. Well, I mean, you talk about that and it has grown a lot, but I mean, we're even seeing repercussions still happening I, with the 
Shane Claiborne, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. fallout right now happening at, mm-hmm. at Liberty with all that. I don't know if you've heard of any of that. But I haven't heard. I haven't heard any of it. Yeah. So um, Shane Claiborne was wanting to lead a a prayer vigil on campus at Liberty, and and Jerry Falwell basically said, "Not today." And uh, send him a letter basically saying, you know, if you come on, if you come on the premises, we'll arrest you. So, wow. I mean, we're, so we're still seeing, you know, things like that still happening um, on both sides, right? And both yeah. sides, I think we're at fault yeah. for things. But, but anyways, uh, one of the things that, and you kind of, again, you're just so good. It's like you run a podcast or something. <laughs> um, you just, you kind of set us up beautifully for this. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the challenge of transitioning out of maybe what what's viewed as traditional um vocational ministry can you talk to us about that that transition and about some of the challenges and about just th- that transition in general yeah you know it's a funny transition i because you it's like you grow up i always tell people i wish i was someone who could just go to church and not think about a thing and i just walk in the building and i don't notice anything and i just i sit and listen to the sermon and i don't content edit as i'm listening and i don't yeah i'm like i wish i was that person like my brother can walk into church and it's fine like doesn't notice any of it it's great like it could you know kids could be like bleeding out because volunteers didn't show up or something and he's like oh this is great like my kids seem happy you know and i wish i was that person i think that was probably the hardest part of stepping out of full time vocational ministry working for a church is still having to attend a church mm. and and so i because I, I think you feel kind of lost like you you had spent all this time being that person who was paid to think about those things was paid to make things better um and was paid to be the person to show up and and encourage or notice the people who are sitting by themselves or all the things. And so that was for me, probably the hardest part was showing up and just trying to be an attender. How have you navigated that transition now? Like, like, uh, how have you kind of gotten yourself to a point where you can sit in a worship service and not have to, you know, constantly be on thinking of, of creatively how things are going and the sermon and all that. Have you done anything specifically to kind of navigate that? Oh man, it's it's not it's not easy. And I've been out of vocational ministry for a long time. I dipped back into it for a brief stint and helped um, run a preschool ministry of my of uh, of a church as they were trying to separate their preschool and children's ministries. And I came in to kind of help them do that. But it for me, it finally came down to, and I, and I just feel like this is not a great answer because I don't feel like everybody has this opportunity. I was like, I need to go somewhere who has its act together, mm. that I can trust that their children's ministry is like, they're not scrambling for volunteers every hour. Um, that I, I just kind of ran through this list and, and that, you know, for us, when we, we moved back to the Atlanta area, it meant going back to Um, one of the North Point campuses. We're at Buckhead Church. And it, for me to be able to sit, because I trust them so well, like, and so maybe that's it, like finding a church that you really trust. um, And I trust, you know, their motivation. I know exactly why they do what they do and who's leading it. And, and so that has helped to be able to show up. I mean, I don't have any critiques of Andy Stanley. I just don't. (laughs) Here's the thing though. Who who does? I know, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying I would have said that differently, Andy. Um, And so so it's been nice just to be able to show up, you know, and and trust that. And so because we've been to other churches, we've probably been to 
um, three or four other churches since we left vocational ministry. And it's just not easy. There's, and so it's just that I think that it's always going to be a rub because you, that that's what your training is. Like you've like, you know, it's like a lawyer going to a courtroom and just having to sit in the gallery every time and not ever like, and just like watching what's transpiring. And, and so I think it's just going to always be that kind of rub for anyone who has left vocational ministry yet still is trying to attend church. And I just think it's going to be hard. Yeah. You know, from, from listening to your story, we can tell that, you know, that you've gone through a lot of major life transitions. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that that can sometimes shake people's identity. You know, whenever things don't go as expected and things have to change and it can kind of sense, shake their sense of who they are. You know, what, what have you done to kind of, to maintain your identity or to remember who you are in the midst of, you know, some of those life, like life changing transitions. Yeah, man, that is for sure. I, I, and I think for me, and I don't know if it's again, my wiring, um, I'm, I'm going to be more naturally bent towards struggling with this kind of thing. Um, but I feel like for me, for the longest time, you know, before that kind of transition where we had moved away moved to like Tennessee and I was no longer, um, doing this work and I was no longer speaking. I had these kids. And so then they're not giving me any sense of value. <laughs> they're never telling me you're doing a great job. I'm constantly failing. Why not? I don't understand. I know. I'm like, they're never saying, Oh, thank you so much. It's like, you're come just, on guys. You know, I give you just... gold stars for potty training. You need to give right. me a gold star for like not killing you. Exactly. Exactly. So they're not giving me any sense of value in that respect. And so I think what I've learned is that if you if you seek to find your value and your worth from anything external, whether that's the way you look or um, what you do or who's around you, then you will always feel underrated, always. And so, for me, I spent many years feeling underrated and undervalued, and like, oh, but I could be doing that. Like, I, you know, I'm so. I, Look at my history. Like, look at my experience. Look at my resume. I can do that. I can do that well. Um, and so it took years of me going back. And I feel like I've had this cycle where it's like when I was young, I I really struggled with um, body image. And it's the same. I always tell you, it's the same core issues. It's that same finding your worth and your value in things that are external and things that change. And then I never am satisfied. And so it looked that way when I was you know, a teenager, early twenties. And then it looked this way when I was in my early thirties with, with work and what I do. And so for me, it's just that constant going back to, I may feel this way, but what is true? Truth is, is that I have value apart from anything external because I'm simply made in the image of God. I have value. Um, I, I, I I tell I think about this all the time, you know, do something from, from a place of acceptance, not looking for acceptance. So a a friend of mine just told me that not too long ago, Louis Giglio said it in some way, shape or form that was much more eloquent than that, but it's, it's doing something from acceptance, not for acceptance. And so I think a lot of times when we're searching for that value, we're doing things because we're trying to get value. We're trying to feel valuable. We're trying to feel worthy and find, trying to find acceptance. And so what I've learned is just constant. And I just would constantly have to remind myself of that because for me, I just forget it so easily. 
forget it so easily. And, and it's hard if you, you know, I'm, I'm, you guys probably feel this way even with the pocket when things are going good and you're getting noticed and all these things are like, oh, this is great. And you start, again, validating your show or yourself based on what people are saying. And then if you go through a season where no one's saying anything, you're like, oh, man, I don't yeah. know if we're good anymore. You know, yeah. and and it's constantly going back to that. Why do I do this? You know, I need to do this from a place of acceptance. You're already accepted. You're already valued simply because of your intrinsic nature. And and then if you're a Christian, you have value because of, you know, Christ in you, all these things. And so it's constantly for me coming back to what is true and what my my identity and my worth should be tethered to you. And, and that for me, I, it's just going to always be like, it's like the, the ocean, you know, that's going to drift you to the side. Like I'm, it's going to be constantly wanting to drift away from what is true. And I have to always come back to, to where I find my value. Yeah. Is there anything, um, like tangible or practical that you do to remind yourself? Like, for instance, like one thing that my dad does a lot is he, like, he has like a sheet of paper, like with a bunch of truths that he has and he reads them over himself. Is there anything practical like that, that you do to remind yourself, whether it's like scripture cards or something along those lines? Yeah. I mean, that's totally, like, there was a season where I carried, you know, you know, those little index cards with scriptures written on them in my pocket. And I would just, I mean, I was like walking to the grocery store, reading a verse, reading it out loud. I'm sure people thought I was crazy, but I was like, <laughs> I need to like hear the, my, I need to hear my voice say it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's things that I, I say out loud. I start to work different phrases. Um, one of the, the phrase that I've really, um, worked on starting in 27, January, 2017 was the phrase, be kind to yourself. Cause I, I can be so hard on myself cause I am so driven. I've got to do these things. And if I don't, if I'm not recognized here, then, Oh, what does that mean about me? Like I'm, it's constant like push. And so just be kind to yourself. Like, fail, I don't like to fail. I don't. And so I'm like, if I, if I think I might, I, I expect to just be like perfect at something the first time around, like who does that? Who expects to like, Oh yeah, I'm naturally great at this. No one. Like, and so I have to remind myself, like, just be kind to yourself. If you make a mistake, if you fail, we all make mistakes. We all fail. It's going to be okay. Like, so be kind to yourself. And so literally just saying that out loud, like I'd walk by a mirror and I would say that out loud and say it to my kids all the time. And, and now they say it back to me and it's like this natural you know, things. So I feel like it's finding some of those phrases, whether it's scripture or just positive phrases and just putting it in front of yourself, whether it's on like your mirror when you're getting ready. Um, I'm sure it doesn't take you guys long to get ready. Maybe, you know, you have to you know, spend about an hour like us women getting ready. Um, but you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. So I'm like, what better place than to put something there to read and to put into your mind? Because I, I do think that we have the power to change our mind. And it's just that constant putting it putting it in whatever way is, is best for you. So I guess one of the questions um, you always ask is what's helping you survive right now. And you ask this of your, your guests whenever they come on. So I, I guess, uh, are there any commonalities or things that you see consistently in people's answers? Yeah. Coffee, alcohol, all those things. Um, <laughs> um, well, next question. Right. Yeah. But it, truly, all of their answers boil down to essentially self-care. And it's interesting because I think a lot of us, we put ourselves last on caring for. So, you know, if you have kids or a spouse or significant other or a dog even, there are people who, you know, like, 
whatever it is. Like we, we tend to put ourselves last. And so we run ourselves dry. We, we don't get enough sleep. We don't eat right. We don't get enough exercise. We don't read. We don't do all the things that, what are the creative things that we used to love when we were kids? Why don't we do them anymore? Like things like that. And so I do think that there's this commonality among people's, you know, survival kit that they talk about in the show. It it all comes down to self-care. Like it's always things that are, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical, it's always in that, like, I'm realizing I take care of myself in this season. And even if that's coffee, like we know that coffee is just divine. I don't know any other way to put it. So, I mean, it is just like that self-care, like, you know, me having a cup of coffee in the morning without anyone talking to me is self-care. Like that's a beautiful thing. That's like medicine for the soul. Yes. Yes. I remember my kids being little and they would try to walk out when I was having that cup of coffee and I would just look at them and like, turn it around. Back. Don't even come near me. Right. Don't Listen. come near me. It's going to benefit you if you just walk away. I love just you. walk away. I love you, but in this moment, my name <laughs> right. is not mom. Right. I'm not on the clock yet. I haven't clocked in. Nope. We're good. We're not ready. Yeah. You know, Sarah, another thing kind of leading out of that that we want to ask you about is sometimes there can be um, a tension between wanting to lead inside the home and outside of the home. And especially, you know, just hearing hearing your story and hearing like, your, your, like your passion for leadership and your gifting for leadership. I was just wondering, can you talk to us about that, that tension between leading inside and outside of the home? Oh man, it is hard. I feel like that is exactly, it's just going to be tension because again, I think I said this earlier is that the people that you're wanting to lead in your home, they don't really care what you have to say. Like they don't, they don't, you know, they're not sitting there going, man, you are the best cook and you are this I can't believe my mom went to seminary she knows all this bible stuff you know I can remember getting into like trying to teach my I think she was like three or four at the time like some dichotomy about taking God's name in vain because she was like saying I was like no listen let me just tell you what that actually means and I'm like she's looking at me like I don't understand what you're talking about because she didn't she was three and I'm like you know trying to lead I'm like still trying to step in and lead like I'm, I'm leading something um and so I think it's hard because you're leading people who especially when they're young they're not they're not responding like the people that you led in ministry. They're not responding to the, like the high school girls that I would teach every week. And, um, they don't think I hung the mood most time, most times, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I just think it's a hard, again, I think, and I think it feeds into your, going back to where you find your value. I think it's easy to find, we always want to find our value in something external and something that we do in our behavior and in our performance. And, I'm telling you, if my performance as a mom is not real stellar, like I can go perform outside of the home and be like, yes, like I see like results and I can like check this off or I hear positive feedback and, and I just don't get that at home. So again, I have to come back to where do I find my value uh, as I lead these people? And I do think it's interesting that God gave me girls. I have two girls and, you know, that I have such a heart for, for girls ministry and women ministry and all this stuff. And, and that he gave me two girls to lead. And so, um, but it's just, a, it's just a whole different ball game when it's your own kids. I always think I, I wish I could go back and tell myself in student ministry to like really lean into the parents of those kids and, do everything you can to encourage them to believe that they are doing the best they they are they can do, 
and um, and rather than feeling like, because sometimes I think it's easy in student ministry to think that you're the good guy, the parents are the bad guy, and or that you know more back to that whole, I thought I know, knew everything, like you know everything and the parent doesn't know anything. And so now being a parent definitely has reframed a lot of that mentality uh, of that, of leaning into parents and going, you're doing a great job. I know your kid is like, like in jail right now, but <laughs> you're doing a great job. No reflection on you. Like I we're think good. That, I think you're in a different conversation. If that's, if that's kind of what's come up, that's a different conversation. That's right. Hey, I, I'm constantly wondering if my kids are going to end up in jail. We'll see. <laughs> well, Hey, at least when they're there, they get three meals a day. That's right. And I didn't have to cook it. And you didn't have to cook it. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm just saying positives here. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes, why does everybody need to eat? Everybody always needs to yeah, eat. What is that? Right. Right. Uh, Sarah, just as we're getting ready to wrap up, we always have a few questions that we uh, love to ask people. And mm-hmm. just the first one is, what is one thing that you've started doing recently, either personally or professionally, that is helping you out a lot right now? I have finally started picking a day to guard. And it's, and it's not really like a, um, I'm still working that day. I, I, Mondays are now my like sacred day in that it is right. It is my most productive day of the week because I like now I don't, I don't even like do any personal, like, Oh, I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to do this. I don't choose to volunteer for anything. I don't, but it's like work day. Like my show comes out on Tuesday and I'm, I'm hustling that and I'm preparing any other things that I'm working on that I need to touch on the week. And it has become so sacred because it, I love feeling productive. And, and so to have a day where I don't have any interruptions and I just get to like work for these solid hours straight has done so much for me to know that I'm just going to guard it. Like I, this is the day that I'm not going to, I'm not going to schedule anything. Like this is what it is. And if I need to like do laundry just so that it tethers me to the house so that I don't go anywhere, then that's what I'm going to do. But, um, but I think just having that day, like I've never done that. I've always just kind of had a, uh, more responsive calendar and, or reactive, I guess, calendar is maybe the better way to put it rather than, looking ahead and just going ahead and going, this is the day I'm not going to, I'm not going to schedule anything else, but I get to just be productive. And so that's been really, really good for me. How do you learn best? And what I mean by that is, um, are there any apps that you use? Um, uh, how, how do you learn best? Like what's something that you're doing? That's cool. Well, I definitely am listening to podcasts a lot. Um, and so I do feel like I learn, learn well that way. Um, I'm trying to do audiobooks, but I just I just don't think I do well through audiobooks, ironically. I can do podcasts but not audiobooks. There's something about wanting to like underline something. Oh that yeah. still, I'm with still you. has me. Yeah, see, I don't uh, see I'm an I'm an audiobook guy. You are? Well yeah. my husband is too. He can like yeah. crush all of these audiobooks. And I'm like I just can't like we just both listen to The Bible Tells Me So by Peter Inns. Oh yeah. And, That's so good. And I was like, I need to like under, like I need to like look at these pages and process and instead it was like audio and I was like and it was read by like some old guy. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> I was so angry. I wanted to like throw my phone every time See, he started the, talking. Here's the thing though is I and this is now I'm about to reveal something that is gonna get rough for some people. They're gonna be like, you're a weirdo. I <laughs> I like talk to the to the person. You're not. A, people tell me that all the time. Like people will write in and say they talk back to me on the podcast. Yeah. Like I, so when I listen to, I do it with podcasts too. I actually will be like, "Man, Sarah, that was that." You know what? 
Go you. <laughs> Go you. Carrie Newhoff, you know what, dude? That was gold. I I agree. But yeah. I was so I'm re I'm I'm listening to this book right now called The Myth of The Myth of Uh Creativity and like Yeah. I I, I was talking to him. They were talking yeah. about the myth of it just being like something genetic. Like people mm. are just born creative or they're not born creative. And I was like, you go, David Burkus. You do that thing. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. I need to check that one out. You should check that book out. Shout out have to you, David. Have David. you read Big Magic? It no. came out, you know, years ago. No. You need to, listen, you need to read that one okay. when you finish what you're listening to. Because I feel like just from what you said, it'll be interesting reading the two okay. together. Yeah, no, that. thank you for that. I appreciate it. And then one final question that we always love to ask is, Sarah, what are you learning right now? Well, I this is going to sound funny, but I just learned how to edit a podcast. Like, <laughs> so I'm married I to I a technical guy. I mean, he's a video producer, editor. So when we launched the show, he edited my podcast. And yeah, you know, I was just being a really great wife and helping him to lean into his natural giftedness and the way God has created him and allowed him to edit my show. Um, and so I would do all the heavy lifting, though. I would content edit. I would send him notes like, oh, you need to cut here, cut this. It's too, the audio is too low, blah, blah, blah. And so I recently launched a new podcast this week. And so it was launching 13 episodes at once. And he looked at me. He's like, I'm not doing that. You're going to have to learn how to edit for yourself. And so I'm very proud of myself that I now know how to actually technically edit a podcast. Um, and so, so that's what I'm, I'm learning, learning now is, what's is the, that. What's the new show called? The new show is called Are My Kids on Track? And uh, it's, a, it's based on a book by Sissy Goff, David Thomas, and Melissa Trevathan. And they are counselors. And they wrote – so it's based on – there's 12 emotional, social, and spiritual milestones that kids need to reach. And so I loved the book. I thought it was so good. but And I wanted to like do this with my small group. And I was like, well, I need some tools to do this with. I, I want more than just reading a chapter. And so I went to them and, and we created an, a short episode for every chapter. And then we created small group questions so that people could kind of unpack this as they go. And they could do it alone or with a spouse or together as a group. Um, and so that launched on Monday. So. Awesome. It was exciting. Yeah. Well, if Sarah, if people want to continue to learn from you, you know, find out about the Surviving Sarah podcast and even this podcast that you're talking about, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just survivingsarah.com is where I am online and at Sarah W. Bragg, S-A-R-A-H-W-B-R-A-G-G on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I know. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun hanging out with y'all. So, Todd, great conversation with Sarah. Lots of insights in there. What was one of the things that you took away from our conversation? Um, one of the things w- was, from a faith perspective, so most people know, both of us, we work in churches, we're both Christians. Um, Sarah was talking a lot about how the transition for her going out of vocational official ministry and how what that looked like for her. Um, for me, it just reminded me of the fact that um, we're part of the local, like, we're a part of a local church, but we're also part of a broader church, like the big, we call it the big C church and just the importance of being able to, to understand where you are with that. Like, yes, we are a part of the local church, but the local church is a part of the bigger church. And so what are we doing? How is our life and the things that we're doing? How does it impact 
the big C church because that's the church that's really the important thing that over that's kind of over all of it. And, and it, we can do that in many ways, whether we're serving directly vocationally in a local church, if we're volunteering in a local church, or if we're an attender at a local church. And so you can you can be able to impact um, the Big C Church in many, many, many different ways. Yeah, I really resonated with a lot of what she was saying with wrestling with just identity. Mm. And whether it be, um, like she was talking about, as a mom or as someone who works for the church or as an author or as a speaker and really just wrestling through and just trying to find um, trying to find herself below or um, just for her trying to see herself not just as those roles, but as a person as Sarah. And so I really, I really identified with that because that's a lot of the things that I wrestle with as well too. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating, write a review on the podcast, hit us up on social media, let us know some of your takeaways from this episode. The best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And next episode, we have a phenomenal guest we're talking with julian treasure julian has one of the excited one of the one of the best ted talks one of the most viewed ted talks of all time of all time and And if you don't know what a ted talk is google it we talk with him about communication how to be a better communicator and particularly how listening listening plays a factor into being a better communicator and so again the best way to make sure you don't miss that episode is by subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast player you use let us know what you're current currently learning about let us know some of the things that you would like us to talk about as well thank you so much for listening to the learner's corner today my name is caleb mason my name is todd Ixenball. and until next time keep learning and keep growing deuces y'all